Welcome to The Real Birth Podcast, the show where real parents share real birth stories and get really honest about how it went. You might be a first-time expectant parent, or on your eighth baby. Perhaps you're a birth worker, or maybe you just love learning about birth. Whoever you are, you are welcome here. This podcast aims to educate and empower listeners through the real stories of mums and dads. I'm Lucy Hill. I'm a doula, a mum of a toddler, and a complete birth nerd. Join me as I invite all kinds of parents to share their stories of pregnancy, birth, and beyond. I hope you enjoy this week's episode. Hello and welcome back to the Real Birth Podcast. I can't believe it, but this is actually the final episode of season two. It's been an incredible season of birth stories and I just want to thank each and every one of you who has listened to them and extend an even bigger thank you to all my brilliant guests who shared their story and were so vulnerable and open with me. To mark the season finale, I am thrilled to be interviewing Kat Strawbridge, whose difficult journey to parenthood has fueled the work that she does today. You might know of Kat if you are in the birth world, infertility world, or trying to conceive world online. Kat has built a following across her Instagram under her handle Trying Years, which was primarily a trying to conceive account, documenting her life as she went through IVF, loss, and eventually the pregnancy with her daughter Ren. She also hosts the Finally Pregnant podcast and runs an online community which is full of support, as well as pregnancy activities such as yoga, specifically tailored for people who are finally pregnant after a fertility treatment, loss or struggling to become parents. Kat's experience of IVF and her long journey to becoming pregnant understandably has affected her birth experience, and I think listening to her story will resonate with many of you out there who are pregnant after a struggle, or if you have loved ones going through the IVF process. I was absolutely chuffed to have Kat join me this week as I've been a big fan of her work and her podcast for ages. I really hope you enjoy listening too. Well, thank you so much, Kat, for joining me on the podcast. It's genuinely such an honour and such a privilege to have you here. Um, I followed your work for a really long time and I know that it's really benefiting so, so many families out there. So thank you for your time. Thank you. That's amazing. Thanks for having me. Before we get going, would you be happy just to share a little bit about who's in your family, who you are and what you're up to? Yeah, absolutely. Well, like I said, yeah, thank you for having me. I'm honoured to be here and to share like my story, really. Um, So my family comprises of uh, myself, my husband. We got married in 2012 um, and we started trying for a family. It took a long time, which I'm sure we will talk about a little bit as as we go on. But I do have my gorgeous daughter, Ren, who turned three in June this year. And, And so it's the three of us, plus our cat B who actually seems to have gone missing in this heat uh, okay. but he does that a little bit when it gets hot he goes a bit feral hopefully he'll return soon <laughs> um so four if you count our cat oh definitely counts mm-hmm. yeah yeah and as you mentioned and I know that you've been really open and honest about this journey for you but for anybody who kind of hasn't followed your story or doesn't know can you kind of talk a little bit about what was the process towards becoming a parent for you how did that journey go Yeah, um, it was long is the short answer. Um, So as I said, we got married in 2012. I was 33, I think. Um, My husband is four years older. And we started trying, not immediately, but within six months of getting married. And nothing was happening. We went about a year after we started trying to the doctor to get some tests, Fast forward a few months, we had some NHS tests. We were diagnosed with unexplained infertility. Neither of us were at the top of the class necessarily, but 
all the tests were you know there didn't seem to be a problem I am one of four children so I've got three sisters they have all knocked out babies left right and center you know there's nothing obvious wrong Mm. and then we went on we had three rounds of IUI which is interuterine insemination so that's when the like the sperm is inserted into you kind of at the right time of the month having had scans and checking ovulation etc we had three rounds of that and they didn't work then we went on to have IVF fresh rounds of IVF so we've had four fresh and three frozen transfers in our time and I have had unfortunately I've experienced three miscarriages and that was from our first round of IVF our second round of IVF and then my successful pregnancy which was following our fourth fresh round of IVF I was expecting identical twins so we had one embryo transferred which split which was wild when we went to that scan and amazing and shocking and all of that but unfortunately um we found out at week 10 that we had lost one of our twins so yeah it's been it's been a long journey since having my daughter Ren um our little survivor as we called her we have had another frozen embryo transfer so we had one frozen embryo left after our last round of IVF and that didn't work so that was actually this time last year that didn't work unfortunately so we are have kind of drawn a line under um our fertility journey at this point Mm. um 10 years later so yeah yeah that is quite an epic um length of time isn't it to be focusing on on that but I know that you've kind of taken real strength from a lot of the experiences that you've had and been able to share that with other people so that's been incredible we'll talk about Ren's birth I know that you have released your own version of Ren's birth story on your podcast which is the finally pregnant podcast I'd highly recommend but I kind of I listened to it when you first released it around when I think it was Ren's first birthday Mm. but I kind of deliberately haven't gone back and listened to it again because I kind of would love it to be a bit fresh for me as well once you were finally pregnant how did you feel in those early weeks and months, it must have been quite daunting and quite frightening. It really was. So, you know, I guess to give it a bit of context, in 2017, I joined Instagram with a trying to conceive account, which is kind of my everyday account now, trying years. And I shared a lot about my journey. And and it was at that point, I was going into my third round of IVF. So from that point, treatment wise, I built up a bit of a community. I used to do weekly lives. And then when I got pregnant, a lot of people came to me and said, like, where's the support for this stage of your journey? And um, which is where the podcast came from, the Finally Pregnant podcast. And anyone who has been through a loss or fertility journey, and I suspect, you know, others as well, when you get pregnant, there's an anxiety. Now, particularly in my own experience, because I had been through two losses before, because it was our one for luck. It was our final ever round of fertility treatment. You know, we hadn't discounted, or I certainly hadn't discounted that I would want to look into donor conception had this not worked. But, you know, as far as our biological children, this was definitely our final round. I was 40 during my two week wait. So, you know, just Mm. age wise, um, that doesn't help unfortunately but yeah so I got the call well actually I woke up the morning of our official test day um, as we call it in the fertility world and or fertility treatment world should I say and did a test it was a bit 
like we weren't sure it was inconclusive went to the clinic had to wait until eight o'clock till they opened went to the clinic then you have to wait after to get the blood test results and which takes several hours like just I remember watching Sex in the City and Sex in the City 2 like both those movies I was just <laughs> like I just need to lose myself in something and um got the call said we were pregnant just elation I'm pure sure. elation unfortunately though because of what's gone before and this is kind of you know went through a thread that kind of went through all of my pregnancy was like anxiety hit Mm. almost straight away I remember my first scan was like they they do it kind of between six and seven weeks Mm. because they want to make sure that you know you would definitely have a heartbeat by that stage I had to call and um our early pregnancy unit and have a scan like just I want to say feign like it wasn't it was genuine anxiety you know I've been through two miscarriages I'm just petrified I'm not going to make it another week to um clinic scan like I really really need to come and see you and they were amazing really supportive said come in the next day so even getting through that next 24 hours was like so scary and I as I did with most of my scans and I had 16 scans no I had 10 scans in the first 16 weeks of my pregnancy. So a lot, Mm. Um, but with most of my scans, but in particularly that one, I was crying the second, you know, like we had to do, I had to do a pregnancy test and even that I was nervous, you know, nervous about that being positive still and taking my kind of clothes off. I was just in floods of tears, literally in floods of tears and getting on that scan table. That was the scan that we found out that we had twins. Um, Mm. So it was just like mind blowing. And we did keep that a secret for a little, for a couple of weeks. We didn't tell Mm. any of our family or anyone. And actually we had lost the twin by the time I shared it kind of more publicly, should I say. Mm. But yeah, the first few weeks, that's a bit of a, an insight into it. Like there were a lot of tears. There was a lot of anxiety. There was excitement, you know, but it was mostly terrifying. Is the yeah. Truth. yeah. Pregnancy after losses. Oh my God. And then, oh shit. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. You mentioned that you had unfortunately lost one of your twins. Um, did you say it was around 10 weeks? Yeah. Yeah. So that's a really complicated set of emotions. I imagine finding out you know going for a scan and having knowing that you've got a one oh my god this baby you know and then having to deal with this ways of grief at the same time how do you feel that affected kind of the rest of your pregnancy and and how were your your emotions going forward from there it really knocked my confidence mm. a lot you know like finding out we were expecting twins was like I say just mind-blowing and there's that oh my gosh have we got enough money we're gonna need two of everything we're gonna need a bigger house a bigger car or how are we gonna fit you know all of that kind of stuff within a couple of weeks we'd got our head around it and then we shared with our families that that was the case and they were all really excited and then finding out that we'd lost one of them which can be fairly common in IVF um, okay you know, I think a lot of the time twins can be common because two embryos are transferred. In our case, it wasn't that we know that there was one embryo and it was just like just an amazing situation that it split. Um, One of my doctors did point out that because I was a bit older, perhaps, you know, your body kind of thinks, right, let's get on with this and do it, you know, Mm. two for one kind of thing. I don't know (laughs) how much truth is in that, but I'd like to kind of think that there is some if he said it to me. I guess, yeah, vanishing twin syndrome is, as it ha- is sometimes called, is again, fairly, can be more common. And I think that's because we have scans much earlier. So yes. we know there's two, which is 
well I don't know it's a, bit it's a, a blessing and a curse isn't yeah, it? exactly exactly but following the loss you're right like the way that I explain it is just the juxtaposition of the emotions was just like nothing I'd ever experienced before I remember standing on my sister's doorstep the the day that we found out because me and my husband had gone separate ways as was the plan for that day and and I was just like gosh I just actually just need to be home with him but I was at my sister's before I left and I just was crying and I was like I am exactly where I wanted to be you know mm. I've got a healthy growing baby inside of me and yet I'm still you know going through heartbreak mm. you know it Defeated. was just it was just, it was awful. Like, why am I having to experience this, this joy and this grief at the same time? I've been through enough. And, and all I, all I wanted at the start of this was one healthy baby. And then I was kind of teased with two and then it was taken away. And it's like, why couldn't it just have been one healthy baby all the way through, you know? And, and it really did knock my confidence because that scan where we'd found out that we'd lost the twin was on a Thursday and one of the reasons why I had so many scans was because then I was like, oh, my gosh, I didn't give any airtime during that scan to my little survivor. You know, I was it was just like all about the fact that we'd lost the twin because we just had not expected that at all. They had separate um, placentas, separate amniotic sacs. You know, this was I can't remember like what the description is. It's four mm. letters, isn't it? But yeah. Um, that it, it was the safest form of of twins and so I, I said to my husband I was like I need to go and see our little survivor you know and so we booked and we went for another scan on the Sunday um thereafter and and we did have a lot of scans after mm. that you know and it went on to complicate the pregnancy from my mind actually from a consultant and, and safety point of view, the pregnancy was actually better because it was a singleton. There was less mm. risk. I went from a consultant-led pregnancy to a midwife-led pregnancy, all of that kind of thing. But we didn't, we weren't able to have any testing. So relatively right. common in the IVF world, in, in the loss world, but you know, not everyone. But from my point of view, I wanted to have a harmony test, you know, so further um, nip testing. And because we had the twin loss, we couldn't have that testing. And it's to do with the ratios of hormones that are in the body. Because I was like, we know they were identical, surely it would be the same. Mm -hmm. But it's to do with the levels, you know, kind of almost, I guess, adding together yeah be so skewed. skewing it yeah so we well I, ha I had no idea that you of course you know that would affect your opportunities for further like testing of of your baby but wow yeah that's really interesting and I was a bit concerned you know because I was 40 and all different things um so we ended up researching at the CSVs isn't it or CVS CSVs and we researched having an amnio and mm -hmm. we went in at 18 weeks to have a consultation about having an amniocentesis um had a full anatomy scan found out that it was a girl in that scan just fell in love with her mm -hmm. and the, the hospital were amazing the consultant we saw was amazing and they gave us a bit of time we went into a separate room because the way that it worked there is you have the consultation and you decide there and then whether or not you're going to have the amnio and based on his kind of you know review of 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 our baby um we actually decided not to have the amniocentesis mm -hmm. but that anxiety that something might be wrong went all the way through to until mm. she was born you know it really did yeah. so 
Yeah. And I think that's really normal. And people don't really talk about the fact that sometimes we can just worry the whole time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So thinking about your birth options, obviously, you've, you know, you know, the medical system inside out now by this point, it's been a long journey in terms of thinking about the kind of birth that you envisage for yourself and for your baby is there anything that you had really got your heart set on or were there anything any factors in your pregnancy that kind of affected your birth choices honestly I just wanted the baby here however that would happen and I think that there are almost two camps with the people that I support who are finally pregnant you know it's some people want to control it because everything has been so controlled and it's like I want an elective you know abdominal birth I want you know I just want to know when it's going to happen how it's going to happen etc etc and then there are the other camp which I definitely sat in I'm like just do whatever you need to to get her here safely and I was told that because I was over 40 because it was an IVF pregnancy I couldn't even look at the birthing unit you know that was just a no-go which you know someone else might have argued that point and got to go in there I was just yes 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 fine I think one of the one of the issues that often and again like this is reflected back at me with the people that I support and I definitely felt like this is I hadn't looked into Mm. a lot about pregnancy even or about birth because I was too scared yeah and like if you let yourself go there and you let yourself build up an idea or a plan it's it's too much to have that taken from you exactly and I couldn't even imagine a world where this baby was actually gonna be here you know I just couldn't really put myself in that position the whole jinxing which I know is completely irrational and you know like I tried as much as possible not to you know to kind of think right rationally how is looking at a book listening to a podcast doing anything going to affect my baby medically it's just Mm. not actually but I just I just didn't do a lot of research and so I just said yep whatever you need me to do that is what I'm going to do. And so I was told and it was recommended that I had an induction and a week before, so at 39 weeks. And what I had had the conversation with them about was that I wanted, I didn't want to be in labor for hours and hours and hours and hours or days really, I guess. Yeah. And then a week later or something, have a cesarean, which, Mm. you know, because something similar had happened to one of my sisters. And so I'd had the conversation with them, like if nothing was progressing within 24, 48 hours, that then I would go and have a C-section. So that, that was the plan didn't quite work out like that necessarily but okay (laughs) (laughs) but I think that's a really nice like it that's a that's a boundary in itself that you're able to set to say look I know what I'm willing to endure here and here's here's something that I can put in place to make sure that that I'm not in a situation that's going to be prolonged and exhausting and frightening and all of those things so you've you've been able to plan in essence there so I assume did you go in for your induction when you were 39 weeks and how what kind of induction did they offer you so just about, I think I did. So we, I live in Cambridgeshire and um, so Adam Bricks was my hospital. And for some reason, apparently they only ever see this usually in September because of Christmas babies mm-hmm. um, or Christmas conceptions, should I say. Say so shout um, out, shout out to my September baby. Yeah, <laughs> I am one as well also. Yeah. <laughs> um, so they only usually see it in September, but they just had no beds. They were mm. so busy. And and because it's Adam Brooks, it kind of, it, it's a huge hospital um, and a really amazing hospital. And they take in any emergencies from the surrounding areas as well. Okay. So. Okay. like kind of Norfolk Suffolk etc so so they were just having a lot 
of people taken straight to delivery suite, taken straight to theatre from surrounding areas as well as internally. And so there weren't any beds. So it was really like actually from the get go, it was quite difficult because we we thought we were just going to rock up on the 5th of June, you know, and 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 that be fine. But we were getting calls beforehand saying, actually, we haven't got any room. We haven't got any room. And it was a bit of a toss up as in, do we push to go in and then just sit there and wait? Or do we stay at home? But for me, I just wanted to be there. I really did. So we did push. I got a bed and I had, now this is, I'm not very good at this. One of my sisters is a midwife, so I know a little bit about other stuff, but it wasn't, it was a pessary. Okay. But don't ask me what the names are anymore. I have no idea. But it was, I think, did they put it in every six hours or something? Yeah, I think they put one in and leave you for six hours. I think some of them are 12 and then they'll check and see if you need another one. Yes, or yes. or they may be able to artificially break the waters at that point. I think it depends on your progression. Yeah, and they and they kind of do it. I think within they do two, and then they give you a break, and then okay. or in my case because. I wasn't progressing and they didn't have any beds. There was then like this break where they didn't carry it on. Okay. Um, or maybe that's what it was that they didn't carry you. They, they stopped giving me the induction because they didn't have any beds. They didn't have anywhere to take me if I did progress. Okay. So that was really difficult. So I went in on, I want to say, I want to say it was a Wednesday. There was the 5th of June and by the Saturday night. So I remember like Saturday night into Sunday morning, I remember going and it was very unfortunate. I was in a kind of add-on so I was in a room a ward with three or four four cubicles and then mine was almost like an extra cubicle they'd made out of a bit of space that had a really oppressive purple wall on it (laughs) on one side there was no window like none of this was helpful to my mental health situation no I remember going over to them you know it's Saturday night Sunday morning and I was just in tears I was broken because I just I hadn't prepared for the mental kind of stress and Mm. and you know of it all I really hadn't physically I was fine I wasn't really getting any contractions I wasn't in a lot of pain but the mental aspect of it I just found so difficult Mm. because I wasn't getting anywhere and they and most of that was because they weren't they kept stopping and starting it because they didn't have enough beds so it was no one's fault and like the team were amazing but they just it was just really it was really mentally taxing, I have to be honest. Yeah, that sounds really difficult. You know, you've got to the point, you're at the end, you're there. That's your day when you're going in. And actually, sometimes there are things that people just can't control and you just are left in limbo, waiting, waiting, waiting. And it's like, how much more waiting do you have to do? You know, like you've waited, you've done your share of the two-week wait is is agonising. And it must have just felt like, oh God, I have to wait again. And not being prepared for that weight at all which is different so what happened then did they eventually get enough space and they were able to restart your induction so what happened was well first thing on Sunday morning I was in the shower someone else got moved and my husband moved all of our stuff really quickly to a cubicle with a window (laughs) which was just like oh my god you are my dream man Uh, which obviously he is anyway but you know (laughs) um, but that was that that in itself was like heaven I could have waited an, another few days but as it was I think the induction had already maybe restarted or they restarted it that day and at four o'clock that afternoon I was told to go for a walk and then I was taken over to the delivery suite um, where they had to artificially rupture my um, my waters which I was 
really scared about really mm. really scared about you know people talk about this kind of big knitting needle kind of hook thing and everything it was totally fine it was a little bit uncomfortable but there was no pain there was no it was just yeah it was not a problem at all and were you experiencing any contractions or anything at that point or was not this really, the no. okay so they broke your waters in kind of yeah. hopes that that would kick exactly. start some contractions I'm trying and... to think if I was like two or four centimeters I think I was only two centimeters okay. at that point so I like and literally just you know it was I think that they well Obviously, they did it for the right reasons, but it was a case of like, let's get this going because mm. this girl has been in here a while. Yes. <laughs> so did the waters being broken have the desired effect? Did you start to feel labour coming on? I do you know what? From there, it is a bit of a I'm, I must have done. Yes. Like all of all that. Well, not all I remember, but the bits I remember about my birth is having go, going to the toilet with like an IV drip, like semi-naked and it wasn't in the room. <laughs> but I was, just, And I had to get a sample as well of my urine. And I was just in this tiny little, so like <sighs> random things like that. And then I remember kind of I, like I went on to, so it, it's the drip, isn't it? That was the drip. Mm. That was the IV drip. Is it oxy? Yeah. So syntocin on, so it's like a, a synthetic version of oxytocin to That's it. Boost those contractions, get them going. Yes. So they gave they gave you the drip today at that. So point. I had the drip, okay. and and I think that's that can be one of the issues that people find sometimes with induction that there's, mm. it's more likely that they will have more intervention. But like I said, I was just like, hit me up, do whatever you need to do. Ready? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So they put me on the drip, and I started on gas and air. I had a tens machine, then started on the gas and air, which oh, like I just sounded like a cow. <gasps> that was very strange and then yeah it just kind of ramped up from there Mm. really um it was all overnight I for for reasons that I won't talk about here because I don't want to upset or scare anyone else Mm. but I I didn't want an epidural and um and this is something I'd heard like 25 years ago. You know, it's, it's, it was ridiculous, really. But I just I was just like, ideally, I don't want an epidural. That was kind of my only stipulation. Yeah. But my midwife, who was amazing, a little shout out to Stacey. And she said, look, you know, like you might change your mind. So what I'm going to do is bring in the anaesthetist to talk you through it because sometimes they're not available mm. um so if they're available now let me bring them in talk you through it and then if you do want it all they need to do is nip in and actually do it we don't need to you know it won't take so long right and so we did that and and actually that was a really positive thing you know and I thought maybe I will and you know I'll consider it and and everything else a couple of hours later I was like, yes, I will have the epidural, please. <laughs> please, please, please. And you'd already, you'd already met the anaesthetist. You'd already done the, the bit that you don't want to listen to at the point where you really need an epidural. <laughs> well, quite. Although, unfortunately, by that stage, they were obviously in theatre. Of course. So I had to wait another three hours. Oh, gosh, um, that's a long time. For the epidural. So my, well, my midwife did say to me that I had, I was it on the TENS machine? I think it was that I had sustained the longest period she'd ever seen just on a TENS machine, given mm-hmm. the pain I was in, or I don't know, something like that. Probably just telling it me to make me feel good but uh, in a moment where I really needed it um and the gas and air and so yeah it was at some point in the morning that I had the epidural I don't remember a lot about that the bit that I remember about that is kind of you know suddenly I wasn't walking to the toilet 
semi-naked holding an IV I was being held up by my midwife who was like really petite but very strong <laughs> and my husband to go to the toilet because I hadn't no, no control over my legs you know mm. I think that's why the toilet thing is just like so firm in my brain because <laughs> the difference was like massive so I was on the bed yeah and them kind of holding me which is just all sorts of mm. things you don't really expect to happen and, but then it's just happening isn't it yeah and kind of throughout this process when you're um getting feeling like it's much much more intense and, and kind of the need for pain relief and stuff were you having examinations to see um how your dilation was going I was yeah. and there was a, like I'm sure it's a case on on all wards or a variation of you know someone would come in to double check what the midwife was doing right towards the end there was I suddenly dilated um, right. really really quickly so it had taken me days to get to kind of two centimeters overnight I was doing okay midwife shift changed um, so we lost Stacy unfortunately she had to go mm. home to sleep and I got a new midwife and I don't, I don't know exactly what happened or if something mm. didn't get checked or what but all of a sudden like everything went oh my god the baby's coming <laughs> and it had happened in like 10 minutes I'd gone for oh not 10 minutes I don't know in an hour maybe mm. I'd gone from six centimeters to 10 centimeters and there was you know no one was expecting it it seemed or I don't, I don't know maybe that's totally normal practice but it just to me there was a real sudden change of pace yeah and a doctor came in examined me you know parts of this I'm saying because I remember it parts of it I'm saying because my husband has relayed it to me you know mm. so I'm not sure what I was necessarily aware of at the time but um, what we were told is that Ren was too far or the wrong position for a vaginal birth but she was too far down for um, a, a, C a c-section oh, and wow. like my husband has told me that he found this bit particularly traumatic and mm. that his take on what was being discussed was that there was a, a possibility that you know he would lose one or both of us you know so oh gosh yeah to be told well this isn't possible but this isn't possible either and those are it. your two options yeah because I remember thinking like well, what are they going to do like literally just like cut me kind of you know oh, like gosh. take I, I like break I, I just I just wasn't really sure what was happening. And, and like I say, this I'm not sure how much of this is made up of what I've been told since or or what I remember at the time. But but it was like it was temporary, the trauma, fortunately. I don't know. Like I've got such a romantic view of my birth. I really do. I loved all through the night. I bloody loved it. I had such a nice time. Stacy, my midwife, was amazing. Bob was amazing. Other than at one point, which I was clearly clearly quite high on like gas and air he had had a cup of coffee and he came over to me and I was like oh my god and like in my mind I was like have you just had a coffee darling because I can really smell it and it's just not it's not working for me right now I just don't like it actually what I was like was oh my god who's had the coffee get out of here it stinks <laughs> so I don't know so like I say I have got quite a romantic view whether or not that's true of what actually happened I, I think did, that's I fine <laughs> you could, well you could exactly hold I'm on to your own it. version it's great exactly <laughs> but I loved it but that bit I remember when so then all of a sudden I was being rushed to theatre I remember physically shaking you know mm. like that kind of shake where you I couldn't stop myself shaking my husband was kind of putting his scrubs on I remember getting into the theatre and this stuck with me every single person in that room came over and introduced themselves and told yeah. me what their job was 
And I've had conversations with people about this kind of subsequently. And, and it's so true. Like, I don't know how much of that is to help me feel welcome and present and, and, and reassured that Mm -hmm. these people were here and, and knowledgeable, you know, so it's not just happening to me. I'm kind of, I know what's going on around me. I, I do wonder, someone said this to me and I really think that this is true as well. How much was just to calm me down just in the process of it being quite repetitive and giving me something to concentrate on and because obviously I didn't retain any of that information (laughs) but it just it worked I think as well there's so many there's way more people in that room than you ever expect when you go into a surgery like that and actually to know what each person is there for it you just sort of go oh okay of course there's that many of you whereas you might just go why is it you know you think there's something terrible wrong maybe that's unusual to have that many people yeah. if you didn't know so was um was Ren ever in any distress during this point or Apparently, was it just kind of you knew that it was going to be some kind of assisted birth so let's get on with it yeah I think I don't think she, she actually so the, so the thing that had highlighted it was that her heartbeat had gone a bit low okay. I think that was the thing that made them double check and they made them realize how dilated I was and and then that led to everything happening but but not I, I don't think that we were at any point in in risk okay. you know there was any risk to her mm. fortunately and and I do know people like she, it was a vaginal birth in the end but I do know people who have been in that situation where the baby is kind of physically pushed back up into the womb so that they can be born Mm. um by c-section and and everything is fine with that little girl that I know you know so I I don't know if this is something that's happened to to your friend but somebody I know had had a situation where their baby had descended um but they did need to have a c-section um and so they ended up with a slightly more unusual scar so it was um rather than doing the kind of like bikini line cut it was more of a classical like t-shape scar which is like very old school um but yeah that's that's quite unusual these days but it can be an easier way to I think to get the baby out if if you're in that kind of situation um so I mean you were fully dilated so that's obviously that's a good thing (laughs) but she so she had started to descend had she a little bit but was she slight just slightly in a slightly uncomfortable position yeah she was just twisted apparently so slightly so her I think it would have been about her shoulder perhaps okay but what happened once we got into theatre and everyone had introduced themselves and that kind of thing was that I literally I had an episiotomy okay um and I remember pushing well either once or twice you know kind of going through only one or two rounds of contractions but it was that quick um and she was out and just yeah wow so it must have felt like quite quite a flurry of quick things happening because completely you've been calmed down a little bit by the staff who obviously it's great they say hello and everything and then just boom yeah she was there (laughs) it was just oh my gosh I don't know if I can swear but it was just amazing yes yes you can swear you must have been knackered as well like I was and I look at a picture you know of me and actually I looked at one just the other day I can't remember what it was for specifically but oh I think I might have put something on my Instagram I haven't put any of those pictures on my Mm. Instagram at any point but I'm just so great 
<laughs> I really am. Maybe so it was all that brave. time in a box without a window. Well, that as well. That <laughs> definitely didn't help. But yeah, I was I was shattered. I was mm. completely shattered. But there is one picture in particular that I I must like, and I say this to my husband regularly. I really want that up on the wall. Mm. Where um, and he took it because, and that's that's kind of. I wish I'd had a birth photographer. I really really do. Mm. Um, but what happened when she was born? I think the midwife was like, "Get your camera out," and so Bob Blessed was there, kind of. But he's got this one picture, kind of over looking down at us. And like my face, there is every emotion that you could ever imagine. Like, you know, and I, I have no doubt that most people feel like this anyway, but given the journey that we had been on and everything, like I just genuinely couldn't believe that she was mm. like literally finally here. You know, it was, I was exhausted and elated and in love and yeah it was I just I love that picture so yeah. much yeah oh that's amazing Everything. and that must yeah a huge moment after you know like you say that almost the best part of like, 10 years or something you know yeah. really wishing her into existence and there she is how long did you stay in hospital and and what was it like going home so we were in hospital for a week in total so we, we I think we went home on the when I think it was a Thursday actually so just over a week um so Ren was born first thing Monday morning it was like quarter past 10 on Monday morning and we went home on the Thursday so immediately after we like I went through something that still haunts me today so I really wanted to breastfeed and and sometimes you know well for me that was part of my journey mm-hmm. you know that everything was so medical and I wanted to do something natural you know all of that kind of thing and I say that kind of quote unquote like mm. however you feed your baby you know that's the important thing is they're being fed but for me I really really wanted to um breastfeed and and I'd, I had gone to a breastfeeding class and I had done a bit of research about that but it's just so different when you actually get there. And mm. I, I was holding Wren in a kind of, you know, like a traditional, you know, you know, if you asked anyone to position a baby for breastfeeding, like that's how I kind of did it. I didn't know there were all these different other ways that you can do it. And essentially I ended up almost smothering her and the midwife was stood next to me and, and clearly, you know, kind of wasn't giving me any direction or any support, which really upset me. Mm. And I just, she kind of went ashen and we kind of realized something was wrong and she got whisked away and checked over and everything was fine. And, but you know, like she kind of, like I could have really hurt her and that was really incredibly frightening. And I think I felt quite well, there are still times now where that kind of comes back and haunts me. But I, the breastfeeding thing, I did find really hard. You know, yeah. I think the only way I can explain it is until you get it, you don't get it. Like yeah. the latch thing, like people show you it and they, t- you know, when they, oh yeah, we'll get the flat of your nipple to the palate of their mouth. And, and until it wasn't until I got it that I was like, oh, that's what they've all been talking about Mm. you know because it just as much as I tried and there was like we we almost like fudged the numbers which you know in a safe way for a baby we ended up using a little sippy cup to feed yes um with my breast milk and I was just so desperate to get out of there I really Mm. was by the Thursday because every midwife that came in bless them they all had slightly different opinions and you know it was hot and they do there doesn't seem to be one consensus with breastfeeding as well everybody seems to have their own 
bits of advice which isn't very helpful no it just I just wanted a bit of time just to focus on it and so by the Thursday we got home and like Ren's weight kind of had started well I think it was kind of it was enough anyway just mm. to get out of there I remember on the way home my milk came in fully and like I put an insta story up and it was like boobs like bricks help <laughs> <laughs> they were just solid it was like I just had the biggest like hardest implants put it's in like nothing it was, else oh my, just, oh my god and it it's amazing nuts. the difference between you've got that oh my god that absolute rock boob to after a feed has happened or after you've expressed you're like where did that go yeah that that was amazing yeah completely completely but I think what happened for me was I had an oversupply of milk okay which is a good problem to have but it was still a problem because we ended up having to go back and forth to the hospital several times and it wasn't until we got this I think it was a maternity worker rather than a midwife who she had experienced this herself and she really explained to me and the way she explained it was if you think about a kind of half inflated balloon if you try to kind of stuff that in your mouth or kind of get your chops around it mm. you would be able to mm-hmm. whereas if you think of a balloon that is blown up fully you can't get your mouth around that you know um and that is what rem was experiencing because i had too much milk she couldn't get into kind Mm. of you know suck and so this maternity worker was just incredible and you know she helped me understand how to get milk out of me with when I wasn't being fed I think it's it's Mm. a letdown um and and helped me kind of understand that and and I had been trying various versions of that at home but I just needed someone to kind of get their hands on me literally almost and and sort me out and then showed me a feed with Ren after I had kind of got rid of the initial milk and like we literally weighed her before the feed and after the feed wow we could see the weight that had gone on because it had been successful it was amazing and so from there it did start to pick up but I would say and I remember people saying to me at the time you know like it can take weeks to kind of for it to click and I can't remember exactly how long it took I wish I I'm sure I've I've got it on a podcast somewhere but certainly it was I would say two or three weeks before Mm. I really really got it yeah Um, and then started to feel more confident because after two weeks she hadn't put on her her weight her she hadn't got back to her birth weight so we did have to see someone for quite a while afterwards but then eventually we kind of got there and um Mm. and then it was like amazing plain sailing oh that's so good that's brilliant I think it it can be really stressful in those first few weeks as well because you're so fixated on those numbers of getting your baby up to the weight they need to be and actually you're right it it can take a little bit longer sometimes for you to work out how to do it I think they don't really even call it established you know that your breastfeeding has been established until like five or six weeks, I think, right. you know, so how we're expected to kind of just know it in, in two weeks is, is really hard. But um, yeah, oh, that's that's great, though, that somebody was able to show that to you and you must have felt much more confident with that. So I really did. And the other thing that gave me a lot of confidence, because like you're you're sent home with a newborn and you're just like, what the hell? <laughs> I'm I not remember the first, Honestly, I remember <laughs> the first like or four o'clock, the first night that we were home at 4 a.m. in the morning. Um, I was sat on the sofa. We had had no sleep. And my husband was stood there holding Ren. And like literally he fell asleep for a split second. And that would like that's imprinted in my mind. We were just absolutely shattered and no idea what we were doing. But what during the course of like the breastfeeding struggles, what 
I was told to do or I was put on a kind of routine, a three hour routine. And it was like, wake Ren up, uh, change her nappy, feed her, put her down to sleep again and then express. And then I would sleep if there was any time. And then, and I did that and it was, it was full on doing that every three hours. But you know what? It kind of gave my day a bit of structure and I was quite grateful for it in truth because I just, I knew what I needed to do each time. And, and so that, that did really, really help actually. Yeah. Being told what to do a little bit can be quite nice rather than just winging it because you just don't know what you're doing. <laughs> exactly, exactly that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. So how did you find that kind of initial postnatal period then that I suppose, say the fourth trimester, we're talking what the first three or four months of, of her life and were, were the emotions still really high after her birth or how did you feel? So because of my fertility journey and and I was aware that the research has shown that there is a link between fertility babies and postnatal depression. Yes. So I was really, really very aware of that. And I had kind of told literally anyone who would listen that I'm really nervous that I'm going to get postnatal depression. I had seen a counsellor, like I've seen a counsellor at various stages during my life, but mm. during my pregnancy, not necessarily pregnancy related. It was more to do with a work issue, but we did talk about pregnancy stuff. And she'd said to me, you know, just because some people get it doesn't mean you're going to. And I really needed to hear that mm-hmm. because I was so convinced I was going to get it. But actually, I think I was I was genuinely really lucky. I don't remember. My husband might tell a different story. But, no. <laughs> um, but I don't remember getting, you know, the baby blues, particularly. Yeah. Um, I don't I don't even know. I didn't know a lot about it in truth, but I don't remember feeling particularly kind of terrible. Possibly mm. that was happened when I was in the hospital. So it was kind of, yeah. you know, I didn't notice it as much because there was a lot around, a lot of support, all of that kind of thing. But I didn't really notice it. And we made the decision to not have any visitors the first two weeks. Okay. Honestly, I don't know if I would make that same decision again because mm. um, I'm kind of sad that my family didn't see Ren at the mm. hospital or you know that's not normal for my family my family are like everyone turns up at the hospital everyone's in obviously this is all yeah. pre-covid and I'm kind of sad that they didn't other than so my mum and dad and my husband's mum no one else met Ren at the hospital yeah. um yeah I would I would do it differently mm. um what we did have I was very lucky my mum came up the day we came back from hospital came back from the hospital she did come that day I call that kind of like our ground zero mm. she tidied our house she did five loads of washing um got them all washed dried cleaned put away it was amazing <laughs> it was honestly so she sorted our house out so Bob could go to Tesco's to get loads of food in so he could look after me. And then I looked after Ren. That was our day zero. And that nice. kind of set us up really, really, really well. I was also sent um, one of those cook packs, you know, with yes. like, <laughs> with meals. So I did dig into them, although more so, I suppose, once my husband had gone back to work. Mm. Um, but I was really lucky with the support that I had. I My dad used to come up once a week. So I live a little, mm. it's only like, 45 minutes from my family but still um they all live around the corner from each other so it is a completely set up when anyone's born that way um um but my dad used to come up once a week and he's a legend when it comes to washing and hanging out clothes and that kind of thing and he also used to cook two or three meals for us or or you know kind of different varieties that we could freeze so we always had food on the go 
Um, I always had a lot of support around me. Um, and yeah, I just, I kind of took to it. I don't know, like yeah. there's been a lot of babies in my life. I've never been good with them in some ways, but clearly I feel like I kind of picked it up yeah. without realizing and it just kind of worked. One thing I will say, but this happened at the hospital, you know, people say about kind of connecting with your baby and that mm. kind of thing. And I had listened to a podcast about this and the person who I can't remember their name, they'd written a book all about this and lots of other bits. I think it was on the parenthood podcast. I listened to it and they had talked about the fact that it taken them like literally, I think 10 weeks or 16 weeks to connect with their baby. And I was lucky because I got that within the first two or three days. But the reason I got it and the reason I kind of it was so vivid to me was because the bounty lady had come around to take pictures I don't know if they still do that but you know when, I don't think they do <laughs> they not so so bounty the company they yeah. had someone who came and took a picture of Ren the day she was born and then two or three days later they came around and showed me the picture on the screen so that we could buy it which obviously we did and and I remember looking at that photo on the screen and it was I loved Ren from the minute she was born I loved her way before she was born but I saw that picture and I just thought, wow, like, I don't know you yet. No. You are a completely different human. You're a different person. You're an individual and I don't know you. And it was that that allowed me to kind of, that was the first step in our connection. Mm. Almost, It's like know? giving yourself permission to get to know her and not yeah. expecting to suddenly understand each other 100%. She is a different person. It's it's hard when they've been part of you for so long, but yeah, yeah. I have somebody else say that actually that they worried so much about this deep connection with their baby, but actually, someone had said to them they are they are a stranger. Like we would never expect to walk past somebody in the street and just instantly know everything about them and fall in love with them. So why do we put so much pressure on ourselves with our babies? So totally with the whole breastfeeding thing. I was, you know, someone, I don't know whether someone said this to me or I decided it, I'm really not sure. But, you know, I was like, they've just learned to breathe. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> just, I'm going to give her a minute before she learns to feed, you know, yeah. like I'm learning, she was learning, we were going through this together. This this wasn't all on me, you mm. know, and, and this was a process that we were going through and we were both getting to grips with it and understanding it and learning like that was amazing and frightening and difficult and mm. cool you know all of those things I think that's such a good mantra and to be honest with you I still use it now like with my almost three-year-old yeah. of I'm learning how to do this you're learning how to do this let's not you know let's try and diffuse the situation and both just learn how to do it and yeah. I've tried to use that throughout the whole process and it does sometimes help to remind yourself that you don't know how to do this because you've not done this part of parenting before. You've not done this part of pregnancy or this part before. So it's okay if you feel like you don't know what to do. Yeah. And I still like my daughter started um, gymnastics a few weeks ago and for various reasons I think her confidence was knocked in the first class because mm. she had been so excited and and I don't know but she was a bit ignored and it really affected her and then the next time we went she just clung to me wouldn't go in and you know so on and so forth I literally I said that to the teacher I was like this is the first time I've done this you know what do I do do I like tear <laughs> her off me and leave her with you do I take her home and we never come back again do I you know I think being honest with 
everyone about that you know like her nursery teachers her you know like I don't I don't this is literally yeah the first time I I haven't thought about that from a point of view of I've used this from the beginning but it's true it's like I don't know what I'm doing no I'm working it out so also neither does she no exactly (laughs) and so I try and um you know when when there's a tantrum brewing it's like he doesn't know he doesn't know how to regulate this emotion yeah you know we've got to do this together yeah (laughs) it's not easy but you know yeah oh well thank you so much for sharing your birth story with me it's honestly such an honor before we kind of wrap up I just wanted to ask whether you had any kind of resources or pieces of advice maybe that you would give somebody who perhaps was in a similar situation to you so facing quite a long fertility journey if there's anything that really helped you and also please talk about your own stuff if you'd like to do what makes you feel good I think is the main thing like one of the things that I do work with people or talk about you know is that I think unfortunately and hopefully this isn't the case that everyone feels it but when you've been through a journey your pregnancy is going to be anxious that's a common theme that I I get from people and but it's about it is possible to kind of grab moments of joy in that and and one of the ways to do that is you know do what works for you if you want to go to scans do it if you want to you know kind of call the midwife and you know get you know do all the different whatever you can do to support you do it without question it just you need to just support yourself as much as possible mm. have as many scans as you like people often say yes. that like you know can I what I one thing I did learn for me which may or may not work for other people is initially I booked them in quite far advance because I was like right we're having one today I need to know that there's one in the diary in two weeks it meant that the anxiety or anxiety kind mm. of countdown started immediately so what I learned for myself was that actually I was better not to book it and then get to a stage where right I need a scan. I need to see this baby. And then I book it for that day or the next day, depending on availability. That was something that I learned from myself. Definitely that I kind of did a different way to to manage it so that it wasn't so prolonged in the lead up. Yeah. And and then I guess from, from my point of view, you know, like the podcast is there, if you are finally pregnant, you know, I've talked to lots of different guests who have had lots of different experience of infertility and or loss and different Mm. types of treatments and different types of losses. Um, I work as a coach now I provide one of the things. So I really wanted to go to pregnancy yoga. It was almost like the epitome of being pregnant Mm. and I got there and it wasn't, I felt like the only fertile in the room. There were a few, the yoga was great, but I didn't get that connection with people because let's face it, because of statistics, I probably Mm. wasn't the only person who had been through a journey to get there. But what I created during lockdown, so they've been running for two years now, which is amazing, is online finally pregnant yoga and Pilates courses for people. And there's Mm. a check-in at the beginning of that, followed by really like pregnancy safe, gentle yoga or Pilates, depending on the course. Mm. So, So really specific support for people who are pregnant after infertility and loss I think that's so brilliant and it's it was a space I think that really really needed somebody to fill and I'm really pleased that you have because as you know a fantastic community for people who are struggling to conceive having fertility treatment um, maybe are experiencing loss and grief and things like that and then there seems to then just be this jump to yay I'm pregnant and like all of these beautiful bump pictures and pregnancy yoga like I totally agree it's really really um it's it's a beautiful fairy tale of pregnancy and actually where is the space for people who 
you know, started out with one, but don't feel like they quite fit into that world yet of, you know, maybe you don't want to go to NCT with lots of other people. You don't, maybe you don't quite feel like you can do that because you've had losses or whatever situation it might be. And actually to have a space where you go, yes, I'm pregnant. Yes, I'm excited, but I'm also every other emotion and it's okay to admit that so to have a community of people who totally understand that and you don't have to explain is just wonderful yeah that's it that's and that's what I really wanted to create you know there's a lot of survivor's guilt because the Mm. people who you were trying to conceive alongside aren't necessarily pregnant at the same time as you so and so you lose that support network and equally you a lot of people don't feel confident enough or or like they belong in quote unquote normal pregnancy Mm. channels you know and so that's what I wanted to do kind of bridge that gap I want people to feel normal you know as much as possible but I know that isn't always the case so so anything that I offer is kind of you know comes from that background of understanding that you know you're pregnant but that doesn't necessarily mean that you feel fixed Mm. you know you're still this is a part of your journey still and and you need that continued support I certainly did and that's why I run support groups and things now as well you know because you do you want to exactly like you said you want to celebrate the highs because it's amazing when you've had a scan and it's everything's looking wonderful and like how exciting is that and then you also want to like you know kind of have a conversation about oh my god I can't bring myself to buy anything because I'm so scared that this is actually going to work you know like and you want to do that with people who get it like everything in the world you know we need to it's important to find our communities because they do get it and make us feel normal and understood and validated and reassured and and all of that so yeah that's kind of where where I I kind of spend a lot of my time now oh well it's fantastic thank you so much again for your time yeah it's a real pleasure to have you thank you for having me Lucy take care Oh, well, I really hope you enjoyed hearing Kat's story. After so many years of trying, that moment of having your baby on your chest and in your arms must just have made those days and days of induction totally worth it. I will link to her accounts on my social media. So if you are trying to conceive or you're going through IVF or if you are finally pregnant, then you can absolutely connect with her through those methods and I would highly recommend doing so. That is all for this week and that is it for season two. I have enjoyed hosting the series so much. I'm really excited to already be working on season three. (laughs) I will be taking a little bit of a break from publishing episodes before I launch into a new season. So you can expect some brand new birth story episodes popping up around about autumn. During this break, I will be recording and editing some new content. I will still be on social media. So if you would like to connect with me online, you can do so via Instagram, I'm Real Birth Podcast or Facebook, The Real Birth Podcast. Or you can email me, I'm lucy at realbirth.co.uk. If you would like to submit your birth story for consideration, I am looking for new stories to feature in series three, four and beyond. So please do visit my website, which is realbirth.co.uk and you will find a form on there where you can submit your birth story. I can't get back to everybody, but I promise I read all of your birth story submissions and I just love every single one of them. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate each and every one of you and I can't wait to bring you another collection of birth stories very soon. Bye.